Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cafe Mi Gente, the podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Elias Posada. And for this episode, uh, we're actually doing kind of like a two-part series, so I guess it's uh, more like two episodes. And and for me, I feel like where you grew up uh, is so important in how you identify yourself and how much exposure you gain to your culture and other cultures. So I really wanted to talk about the two places that I've had the fortune of living, um, California and Texas specifically. However, this there will be an ongoing series where we talk to people from different regions around the country and what it was like being part of the Chicano community in different parts of the country. Um, but I really wanted to get some friends together and, and talk about sort of the differences and similarities and just kind of their experience growing up in either Texas or California. Uh, so for this first episode, I brought along a friend of mine named Tina Hernandez, who I met in Austin, and she and her family have been in Austin and Texas uh, for multiple generations, and I wanted to get her point of view on what that was like um, and how that affected her her overall view of herself. And the next guest is Michael Munoz, who um, is actually a listener who reached out, and we wanted to... Um, get on. Uh, he, he shared a story with us and we we really enjoyed it and we promised that we would bring listeners onto this podcast and so here's an example of that. And and yeah, Michael, again, uh, he was born in Houston but now resides in Austin so we get uh, a couple regions there. So anyway, uh, I'm going to stop rambling and we're going to get into these conversations. Uh, so here it is, my conversation with Tina and Michael. Tina, we'll start with you. I'm just kind of curious um, what it's like, because, you know, going there, uh, people who were born and raised and still live in Austin were always referred to as unicorns. So can you sort of talk about what it's like being one of those unicorns and, and kind of just your childhood in general growing up in that in the city of Austin? Yeah, um, let's see. So being raised here, most of my family still lives here like from my grandma to my aunts and uncles, cousins, we all kind of stayed. Mm -hmm. um, growing up here, we kind of bounced around a lot. We moved all over Austin from Dove Springs to the South Austin. And we always hung out with each other. Like I didn't realize now that I'm older, I, I realized my parents actually really enjoyed spending time with their siblings. Because mm -hmm. I was always surrounded by my cousins and we were either running around um, going to local swimming pools. We'd go to South by Southwest and kind of do any of the free shows. Auditorium Shores for 4th of July. What were you surrounded with culturally? Like what uh, did the family members bring? You know, what sort of, in terms of Chicano, Chicana, Tejana aspects, what kind of, what were introduced to you growing up? Growing up, I think we ate a lot of Tex-Mex, a lot of Mexican food. Um, my mom is, did you want me to go into ethnicity yeah, as please. well? Yeah. Um, so I'm mixed mm -hmm. and I identify as a queer Latina. Um, and my mom is very white, red hair, <laughs> blue eyes. And my dad is very like native looking. He has like straight black hair, a little bit dark skin, not a little bit. His skin is a lot darker <laughs> than mine. Um, 
and my mom still cooks a lot of Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend a lot of time with my grandma. So I believe I am third generation. My, I think my grandma's mom was born in Mexico. I tried to ask her, but she's just said, I don't know, leave me alone. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that has something to do with like assimilating here in Austin. Um, but she looks like a little abuelita. She has a floral dresses, flippers, you know, hair in a bun. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's always spoke Spanglish. Well, we can, um, let's talk about that. Cause I'm from a mixed household as well. Um, we might be jumping ahead a little bit here, but looking at, uh, identity and how you identified yourself throughout your lifetime, how big of a role did that play in terms of trying to, for lack of a better term, pick a side or be on both sides as efficiently as possible, um, when it comes to, you know, culturally and ethnically. Oh, I played a huge part, I think, Hmm. because I am very light skinned. So I feel like I can kind of go either way. Mm -hmm. It just depends. Um, But growing up with my dad being a lot darker, I think there was confusion sometimes of I wasn't his daughter. Mm -hmm. How does that feel when someone, you know, can't make that connection simply because of like, look? Yeah. Um, So when I was younger, I didn't actually understand it. I was just like, no, he's my dad. Mm-hmm. And I let's go on at that. As I've gotten older, I see where that confusion is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was at a store one time, uh, and I think I was at uh, a liquor store buying candy, and my dad was buying alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to buy the ch- chocolate, and she was like, you can't buy this here. I was like, but he's my dad. He's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think being able to kind of go both ways when I was younger, I definitely felt like I leaned more white. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that had something to do with like embarrassment or why that was. And then as I've gotten older, I feel like I'm much more proud of being Latina. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like I talk about it more that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that has more to do about like the family dynamic and the culture. Mm -hmm. So I think I love like the energy that Latinos bring, um, the passion and the welcomingness. Mm -hmm. Also, in my family, at least, if they're not making fun of you, they probably don't like you. <laughs> I think that's pretty universal <laughs> for um, for Latin culture, uh, but that's that's hilarious. <laughs> spot on. Yeah, um, we'll hold you there for Tina. Uh, Tina, I'm gonna have a couple more questions, but I just want to give Michael a chance to kind of catch us up. So you're in Austin now, Michael. Why don't you go ahead and bring us from childhood till now? And then how that affected you, how you identify, um, you know, being within your family and everything. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, um, I was, uh, as I said before, I was born and raised in Houston. And I spent most of my um, my young adulthood, well, my childhood and my teenage years there. And um, I also come from a mixed family as well. Um, my uh, mother is white. My dad is um, is Mexican American, Tejano. Um, he is, um, you know, pretty like brown. You know, <laughs> he's you know pretty dark. And my uh, my mom, like you know, that whole side of the family is like very very German. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
growing up, like as far as like my identity is concerned, um, like, so like I grew up with my mom primarily, like uh, her and my dad uh, got divorced when I was not even a year old. And um, so like I was raised by and large by the white side of my family for a long time. And that's kind of like what I mostly identified with. Um, you know, I would go see my my grandmother, my my dad's mom, um, and, uh, you know, periodically through my childhood. And, you know, her and I, I think out of probably out of a, a lot of that side of the family, you know, I'm probably closest to her mm-hmm. um, more than anyone else. But, uh, you know, growing up in that environment, I didn't think anything of it at the time because when you're a kid, you just you just don't think like that. Mm-hmm. You know? It wasn't until like my teenage years that like I started to like well preteen really like around middle school like I started to like really like question like you know my identity and just like you know well my last name is Munoz but like that's not a you know that's I mean I guess in a way it's a white name but you know it's it's not German <laughs> for sure so you know there's there's like this kind of realization like you know I, this is like this whole side of the family that I don't really like know like super well so. It was around that time I started to make more of a, an effort to, like, get to know, like, this side of the family mm-hmm. a little bit better. Um, and that's when I started to, like, really kind of glom on more to, like, that side of myself and start to learn. And um, I started taking Spanish when I was in middle school because I just thought, you know, well, one, being in Texas, that's, like, huge right um knowing how to speak spanish but also as a way to like even though like most of that side of my family doesn't really speak a whole lot of spanish um i thought it would also be like a way to i don't know just like bring us closer in a way i'm curious because we've all kind of said the same thing and that we identified uh more we're both we're all mixed we came to realize which was kind of cool um but also we all growing up tended to lean towards the quote unquote white side. Um, we all have different backgrounds. It sounds like on that side, I'm Italian uh, and Spanish. Um, so when you look on like that side, why do you think that we related more so to the, the again, quote unquote white side of us? Was it like society? Was it something that was because of our surroundings, you know, were you all surrounded by, I was surrounded by a ton of white kids. Like that was why I think that's the main reason for me was like, um, I said it on a couple podcasts ago, you know, people, whenever they would like make fun of like Mexicans or whatever, which happened a lot. I grew up in a, a farm town, so it happened a lot. You know, the farmers were rich and white and the people who worked on the farms were Mexican and poor more often than not. Um, but I would always, you know, when people were cracking jokes, I could always tell myself, oh, no, I'm Spanish. Like, I'm Italian. This is fine. Like, I can. It's fine. So I guess I'm curious for you and we can start with Tina sort of. Why do you think that that was your natural reaction at that age because we all also have said that as we got older we were like crap we missed out on a huge chunk of what could have been part of our lives and our culture so um as children as young adults why do you think that was tina i grew up mm, predominantly around hispanics Mm -hmm. so i feel like i didn't necessarily miss out Mm -hmm. Uh, but also i think my family really didn't celebrate a lot of the different cultures cultural parts of being Mm Mexican-American. 
um, because we're also not religious. So I think that probably paid a, played a part in it too. Mm-hmm. I think I leaned more towards the white side or quote unquote white side. <laughs> um, I, I think it had to do with people making fun of Hispanics. Mm-hmm. Like I saw because my cousins were darker skin than me, they were being made fun of. And so I would kind of similar, I would kind of lean towards the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, my siblings were way more wilder than I was. <laughs> I was like getting in trouble and I really wasn't. So I think that was part of it. I always felt like I was kind of this like black sheep. Mm-hmm. Like I always felt like I didn't necessarily fit in. Mm-hmm. But I know I did. Like I know I did like like spend time with everyone and got along. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a quick question before we move on to Michael real quick? Um, because in a similar situation, I felt that way for my dad's side, on that side of the family. But then when I would go to my mom's side of the family, I also felt like it was just a little off. Like I never, in both sides, I never felt like unwanted or unwelcome. It was never like that, but there was always, maybe it was culture, maybe it was something, but there's always something that was just like a little off. Like, oh, none of, cause none of my cousins, all of my aunts and uncles married other, you know, white people. All my cousins are just, are white. So like, culturally something just felt a little off did you feel that on the flip side as well or was it kind of only with the hispanic side or latino side uh, growing up so we didn't really spend too much time with my mom's family most of it was always spent with my dad's side of the family okay i realized because my family would make fun of me for being Mm light-skinned same and so then you kind of like push that way so it was a lot of weather flaca um and the like you know they love nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe that was part of it is I feel like they were making fun of me, but also it made me feel a little bit more like maybe I'm not that Hispanic. Yeah. So, um, Michael, same question to you as for Tina, where, you know, why do you think you sort of leaned into that white culture? Was it simply because you were with your mom more often than not? Or do you think there was some other things that were in play there? Um, I mean, Probably, I'd say mostly just because of the family dynamic growing up, really. Mm-hmm. Um, just being around my mom and my grandparents who, like, had a huge hand in raising me. Um, but also, to a certain extent, like, I grew up in a fairly white, like, part of Houston. But, like, it was still pretty diverse. Um, but not really a whole lot of, like, Mexicans or, like, really, like, any kind of, like, Hispanic like people like really at least when in my elementary school mm-hmm. it started to get a little bit as the years went by like in like different schools it progressively got a little bit more diverse mm-hmm. um you know i think because so often you know especially in the 90s um that was just sort of like the norm that was like mm-hmm. mainstream culture like was predominantly white you mm-hmm. didn't really see like a whole lot of representation as a whole besides you know we had captain planet you know that, <laughs> <laughs> that was about as diverse as it got back in those days i feel like you know yeah. or you know if you were you know back in those days like you know you had you know black cinema but a lot of it was like focused on like you know gangs and like all these like hood movies and mm-hmm. like stuff like that you yeah. know but it you know it was very like kind of one-sided yeah you know? absolutely no, I appreciate you both sharing that. I was wondering, Tina, because you, uh, 
identified earlier in the episode as a queer Latina. I'm wondering at what point in your life did that become uh, a statement of pride, if that makes sense? You know, when did it switch from like, from like, oh, I don't know, to like, no, this is me. This is how I identify and this is how I'm going to identify and you can like it or not, but it's me. Or have you gotten to that point yet? I don't actually know where it shifted. I know it probably happened as I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a partner of mine that his family was very, um, like he was like first generation mm-hmm. Mexican-American um, and always felt really comfortable. I didn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm guessing somewhere maybe in between that once I became an adult and I started questioning more about culture mm-hmm. and starting to think about how was I grow how did I grow up? Who am I around? Um, and Austin can be, can feel sometimes very, um, homogeneously white and everything just kind of feels right now that has this like splash of, of Mexican to it. Um, but not necessarily culturally that Mm -hmm. I think it's always now in like the suburbs and a little bit outside of those areas more so than like central downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, same sort of question. Uh, first of all, if you're comfortable sharing, you know what you choose to identify as um, ethnically. Um, it, however, I doesn't. However, you want to identify as um, is the question. And then, uh, did you have a moment of time where you were like, okay, I, I'm now saying this with confidence, or like Tina, was it kind of maybe something that happened subconsciously or even gradually? Um, I, so I identify mostly as like, um, as Tejano really. Um, that's just the lit. Well, for one, a lot of people in my family identify as such. So that just kind of felt the most comfortable and the most natural to me. And also like given like my Mexican and German background, it's just, you know, it just, (laughs) I don't know. It just, it just felt like like the best kind of idea mm-hmm. of where, where I come from and who I am having those two influences within me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't really get solidified. Uh, I'd say probably sometime in my twenties, really. Um, when I started, I kind of already established like a better relationship with, my dad's side of the family with my Mexican family. And um, as I started to learn more about them and also just like getting to like know the culture and like the more, more and more the history of like Texas in particular, because mm-hmm. it's my home. Like that's just, I don't know, it sort of cemented itself within me. I'd say like, yeah, some sometime during my twenties. really. Tina, I know that you identified again as a queer Latina. I kind of was curious, like, what that process was like with the Latin side of your family, the Chicano side of your family. Um, and, and was there any difficulty there and, and sort of what was the acceptance like, um, for that? Um, so mine was, I came out when I was closer about 30. Mm. So it's a little different. Mm. Um, and I think there's probably some hesitation to even, realize that I was queer mm-hmm. um, just due to kind of like the 
Latina machismo, mm -hmm. like, you know, being gay wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. um, my grandma would outwardly talk about it. My dad would outwardly make fun. Um, I never understood. So when he would tell me stories, I would just cry. And I was like, why would you be mean to people? Why would you like make fun? Um, and I came out and I actually had a really good experience. I think by that point I had talked to my dad enough to kind of get him to change his perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, that's generational as well as like what you're around. Mm -hmm. um, but I told the rest of my family and everyone seemed really great. The only thing my dad told me was like, cool, I'll be the only man you love. <laughs> and then I told my grandma recently that one was, well, I told, I stopped going around and I realized I stopped going to see my parents. And I realized that I just kind of felt like I was holding a secret. Mm -hmm. So then I went ahead and finally told my parents and they, everybody went, everything went really well. My grandma, I didn't tell till, um, probably right before I got married. Mm -hmm. wow. When I told her, um, the first thing she asked was like, Hey, what about that one boy you used to date? And I had to think really hard about who it was she had met. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, like my boyfriend from high school, like 15 <laughs> years ago. He's like, yeah. And I was like, he's doing well. He still lives in Austin, um, but I don't see him. Wow. Does that, I mean, I'm going to ask an obvious question here, but hopefully um, you will be able to elaborate. Um, does that, because we talk about identifying, again, culturally and how that was difficult for us in this group. Um, I mean, what, adding that extra layer, like, like, what does that do to your, you know, mental health or what does that do to your sense of self and identity as you're growing up? Yeah. Um, so growing up, I didn't realize I get all the signs now. Um, but once I did realize it basically started to, I started to pull away from my family because mm -hmm. we're all pretty close and we kind of keep up with what we're doing, but I just, I just realized I was like, I'm not going over there anymore. I'm not really visiting them. And in the pit of my stomach, I just feel like I'm lying to them because mm -hmm. there's always this expectation to have kids. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like the biggest thing. Um, my dad would always say like, you know, when are you going to have a baby? And I was like, I don't even have a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest part was those expectations. Mm -hmm. um, because all of my siblings have kids. Um, I think my parents have about a dozen now, mm -hmm. my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably the expectation of not having a kid. Mm -hmm. Being able to identify as that now is like fantastic. But how did that feel? Did it feel like you were going against a culture or anything like that um, as you were growing up or as you were discovering yourself? I would say I felt like the reason why I couldn't tell my grandma was probably a big mm -hmm. um, indicator mm -hmm. of that. And with the machismo part, the first thing like my brother asked me was like, who's the man in the relationship? So I think trying to understand those dynamics of what the female and male play in a relationship mm -hmm. can always like differ because everyone kind of like, you know, 
guy brings the taken home. Um, and the, a lot of the women usually like do a lot of like taking care of the children and cooking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like having a kid was probably the best thing that you could do for your family. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost like my parents didn't do well if I didn't have a kid, mm. you know, yeah. they've accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. How would you say things feel now, both with your self-confidence, your self-identity, um, and also your relationship with your family? Um, I think it's really great, but I think it also has to do with the times. I think if I was my in my dad's era, that would have been really hard. Mm -hmm. And with Austin, I think that makes it a little bit easier too because it's a little bit more open and liberal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a fair point. Um, society can have negative effects, but sometimes it can help uh, if you're in the right area where you need to be. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that, Tina. I know that it's not always the easiest thing, but I think it's going to relate to some of our listeners. And there will we are there will be a full episode at some point where we talk about this sort of things. But it's really it was really important to Tina. It's really important to us uh, to start that conversation. So hopefully that helped somebody, um, helped some some listeners. Um, but all right, so uh tehano tehana what does that mean to you michael you kind of touched on it a little bit but what does it mean to be tehano i mean for me personally anyways i know there's like you know there's definitely an academic <laughs> definition to these things we don't need uh, that we're not yeah we we're not academics that. over here tell us what <laughs> you feel um for me personally it's um i mean Tejano is like, you know, everyone, when you hear Tejano, like, you know, what do you usually think of? You think of the music, you probably think of like Selena, you probably think of like Tex-Mex food. And those are all things that like, I've just, I've been surrounded by like growing up. And, uh, you know, even though like my German, like my, the, the white side of my family, they don't identify as Tejano, mm -hmm. but like, because you know, it's it's definitely attached to that that Mexican influence, um, absolutely. But you know, because of that German influence, like you wouldn't have that, like Tejano as we know it, Tejano music would not be the same without that German influence. Yeah, um, it's that's absolutely crucial to that style of music yeah, and you think of the accordions and everything, and yeah, the accordions, you know, the umpapa, like all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, given like, like the history that I know about my family uh, on both sides, it just that that synthesis, like, uh, I identify with that. Like, that's, that's me. That's, that's just where it's at. Yeah. Uh, Tina, what about you? What does that term sort of mean to you as I'm sure people would label you as Tahana? Um, I don't, I don't know if you choose to use that label or not. But what, what does that word sort of mean to you? Um, just to piggyback um, off of that, mm -hmm. I didn't actually, I didn't realize that German influence was a, a big part of it. When you say that, I, I now I get it with all the beer gardens and everything, <laughs> but didn't realize. Um, same with like Tejano music. I can definitely see that influence. Yeah. Didn't know that though, <laughs> but so thanks for sharing that. Sure. Um, Tejano, Tejana, I think is a lot of 
like a lot of, I think of food for the most part, like Tex-Mex, um, barbecue, I think is kind of like a mix in there. I always think of um, cowboy hats and <laughs> um, the music mm -hmm. or just like food trucks where you can get a lote. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like what it is. It's always like a party. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a vibe, right? That the term seems to bring a vibe with it. Um, and, and it's funny because maybe you can't put your finger on it, but you know exactly what it is when you see or hear it. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, being born and raised in California, like obviously you have both Texas and Mexico or, or both both Texas and California are at one point part of Mexico. But Texas is unique in that Texas was also just part of Texas at one point. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot of pride in that. Um, and that was something that I found interesting. Uh, there's always like, you know, they always, I think the rest of the country would look at Texas and California as the two most, I guess, cocky states. I don't know what it says about me that I've lived in both, but um, I try to be as humble as I can. But yeah, I think um, there's something to that as well, where there's a pride behind it. Um, and I think there's a pride in being Tejano and Tejana as well that I've noticed when I was there. And I think that the community should celebrate that because it's a very unique history that they have. I was going to ask, um, we asked, we're going to ask all our guests this question, but if there are any like stereotypical differences that you've heard or that you think of when you think the difference between California Chicanos and uh, Texas Chicanos or Tejanos. Again, I think it kind of leans towards food. Mm -hmm. There is a difference in the way that it's made. Um, as well as, I don't know what it's called, but the type of like, I, I can't do it. Do you know what or I'm like talking the, about? The, like the grito? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's what it's called. The yeah. yell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feels more Tejano. I, I, I could be wrong compared to California, but it feels that way. Hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, I honestly not thought about it. <laughs> now I'm going to pay closer attention to that. Is that a thing in California with the, the grito? Like I mean, people, I think, enjoy it, and they enjoy trying to do it. And I think people look at it as maybe insulting. Um, and I think it can be, but I think when you, you know, context is everything. I think mostly, I like, I think it's awesome when people try to do it because it's, you know, it's a unique part of our community and that people are trying to, like, mimic. And I don't think, again, I don't, they might play it off as maybe they're trying to, like, poke fun, but I think it's more out of, like, a, that sounds like an awesome thing because there's one thing that people can't argue and that's that Chicanos, uh, Mexican-Americans of all kind know how to party. And I think that there's a lot of communities that are very jealous of that. So I don't know if it's unique here, but it, it's definitely prevalent here. <laughs> it's a unique. celebration sound. Exactly. You know, like you're celebrating, you're proud. It's almost like like a peacock in a sense. Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good release too. You know, it's like, it's good to like, to like let it out. <laughs> like Chicano culture, like I, I, at least growing up and like learning like what Chicano was, like that always seemed like more of like a California thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, there's like this like political baggage that's associated with the term that often gets kind of like, you know, lumped in with Calif the idea of California, mm -hmm. right? Um, so which I, I didn't, I was not exposed to that growing up. Like that's not like that whole like imagery, like the Chicano like term, that's like not a part of my, my personal family. And yeah. it's not something I really like heard or like 
you know, was like, it was never really discussed by like anybody in my family or even like my friends groups, like mm-hmm. growing up, it always seemed to be like kind of this other thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, it's funny you say that because as you were talking, my mind was racing and I was thinking to myself, I think the main reason why it probably wasn't a part of um, your vocabulary that much, and Tina, I'm going to make an assumption that it wasn't too, too much a part of yours either, is because the um, the term itself is political, or at least began as a political statement from that community. And that community came from um, for uh, second generation Mexican-Americans, right? Because the first generations wanted to assimilate. The second generations were like, okay, now we want to be treated as equals. We were born here. We deserve to be here. Uh, We want to be equal to you. We want to stand up for our community. And I think where it differentiates for you all is that you all were where you've been forever, for decades, right? You talked about being, you know, multi-generation in Texas. And again, Texas has gone through its changes, but your family didn't go anywhere. You know, they, you know what they say, like your family didn't move, the borders moved, right? So I think like, there's a little bit of separation there in that sense and that you're when you all when you all put up the fight or you know go to to bat for the community it's a community that you that you didn't come to you know again it came to you and um as opposed again to california where i feel like although it was part of mexico at one point the people we're talking about you know their parents moved to california and then they were moved to california then they were born and et cetera et cetera um, I don't know yeah. if that's accurate. I was just, that's just my, where my brain went when you were saying that. So it's pretty interesting. There's definitely some truth to that. I think, um, I know at least in like the case of like my own family, um, like on my paternal side, like we've been here, I want to say like the majority, at least like the branches I can trace anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been here for, uh, can't really like count the generations but like pretty much by the time like my great grand not my great grandparents right no my great grandparents yeah by the time i mean my great grandparents you know by, by their generation um was when everyone in my family had like come over here from mexico so mm-hmm. we're talking like like late 1800s early 1900s around that time mm-hmm. um so i mean we definitely we're crossing some borders, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but, you know, but there's also certain branches where it's like, well, as least as far as I can find, like they've always been in Texas, but you know, was that always the case? Who knows? But you know, records are spotty at best <laughs> as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey Elias. Yeah. Could I ask what Please. you think the differences are since you've grown up in California and then also lived in Texas for a long time? Sure. <laughs> so and you have a better background of California than I do. Yeah, no, I think um, I think Michael hit it on the head in that California and Texas, for that matter, are such big states that it really depends on where you grew up. Um, but where I grew up and where I spent most of my time in Texas, which was in Austin, um, Houston occasionally, and San Antonio a little bit. Um, the fun ones, if you will, are fashion. I think the fashion between the two communities are pretty different. Um, there's not a huge contingent of Chicanos in California that would wear the cowboy hats and the boots, um, you know, the white on white, like all that sort of like flashiness, um, that didn't really exist to me growing up. They were around, but like, it wasn't, you know, when you go to like a quince or a wedding in Texas, it's like, that's how everybody's dressed. 
Whereas like in California, it'd be like the one uncle, you know, you see it, but it's not something that's super prevalent. Um, the other thing that I would say is the food for sure. I think when I moved back, people are always like, oh, Tex-Mex, like, you know, Tex-Mex isn't Mexican food. And I was like, well, you're kind of right. It's not. Um, it's Tex-Mex and it's delicious. So as a Californian, I stand up for Tex-Mex just so both of you know. Um, but, um, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's a different style. It's a different culture. It's a diff- whole different vibe um, that doesn't make it less delicious. Um, but yeah, those would be the two like main fun ones. Uh, I think the, the thing that I found interesting in terms of similarities, though, was the the music and select artists specifically one of whom was mentioned already and she's obviously the queen of everything so you know selena i think i think her whole appeal right is that she broke down borders literally in states regions countries whatever so it was cool to come to the place because you know i grew up listening to her music um and and selena will be mentioned a, a couple times i'm sure between all our guests but um but, you know, I went down to Corpus to see her, like, statue and all that sort of stuff. And it was just kind of really cool to, like, be in her state. But what I will say is as much of an influence as she had on me and my family, like, she's Texan. She's Tejana. Like, that, she's the definition of it. Um, so Texas does has that one up on California for sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, culturally, luckily, it was pretty similar um, in a lot of ways. I, I know you all are in Austin. For me, it was really hard finding that community um, in Los Angeles, you kind of know where to go. You know, you see the murals, you see the restaurants and you kind of know like, oh, this is where my community is. Um, in Austin, we didn't know where to go. So we actually lived in South Austin for a bit. And then um, through various exploring and whatnot, um, I stumbled, I stumbled, it's not a very big city. I stumbled across uh, East Austin at one point and just driving through and then there you see the murals again you see the and you're like holy crap like this is where this is where i should be living this is where i feel comfortable um now as we can all attest to um it doesn't quite look like that anymore but that that can be a conversation for another time but yeah um but yeah i uh that was cool the fact that it was like okay i moved halfway across the country and i was still able to find a community that was similar enough to me had the same sort of ideas Um, Spanish, interestingly enough, I think is more prevalent in Texas as well, at least in my experience, um, in terms of Chicanos wanting to learn and know Spanish, uh, I think it's, it seems a lot more important in Texas. And that could just be my one experience, my, you know, one person's experience. But in California, I never felt, I'm not, I can speak, I'm not fluent, but I never felt like a pressure to be fluent in California. Um, not from people, just from myself, just from being around it. Uh, but in, in Austin and in Texas, I was like, dang, I need to learn this and I need to learn it like real quick. Um, and so, yeah, so that was another big change, at least for me, was it, it seems like the importance of learning Spanish and culture in general, uh, was more important in Texas. Uh, but that could also just be the size of the cities. I mean, LA is so big that maybe I just wasn't in the right communities for that. That was a long drawn out answer for you, Tina. Sorry. Hopefully there was some Um, nugget of good info in there. (laughs) There's lots of good info. I never thought about the speaking Spanish because I definitely felt like, feel like I need to know Spanish. Mm -hmm. I wasn't taught it. Um, As a kid, my dad basically told me if 
he's like, I taught myself, you should teach yourself. And I was like, why would you not want to give me like a step up? That is interesting. Um, that's interesting. I was put in like an ESL class in first grade. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting. Oh, nice. I was the only one that wrote English. <laughs> and I didn't know Spanish. <laughs> wow. Uh, what about you, Michael? Do you speak Spanish? Did you, did you grow up speaking Spanish? Uh, not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I also, I mean, I knew a little bit, of yeah. course, like, you know, my grandmother, you know, she always calls me mijo. So, <laughs> so you know, I knew what that meant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew how to count to 10. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't really learn to speak it until I started actually taking, uh, classes, uh, when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I took, six years of Spanish and I am not even close to being fluent now. Um, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Like most of my friends, like, especially like my my closest friends, they're all like either of like Mexican descent or, you know, some of them are like Dominican or, uh, Colombian, Peruvian. Uh, but like none of us, speak spanish to mm-hmm. one another like ever at all so it's like you know some of them are a little bit more fluent than i am but i think at this point we're just so used to english that we just like you just kind of you don't exercise those muscles anymore i was kind of curious if you guys have ever gotten when someone reads your last name if there's like an expectation of do you know spanish and then you know almost like a you should yeah um i think i i shared this story with you in my first email with you um elias like uh so when i at my very first job i was in college and i was working at a local diner chain in houston um it's no longer around sadly um but uh one of the other servers i was working with um who was also um I don't know if he was Mexican or Guatemalan or, or, uh, I mean, he, he was definitely like Hispanic and spoke fluent Spanish and like, was like super indigenous looking. Um, and like, he knew my, I told him like my last name and he was like, you know, he tried to talk to me in Spanish and I was like, uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> bud. I like, I, I can't really, I'm not like fluent and near fluent enough to like, to talk with you like that and like he just he could just like see like the change in his face he was like almost like disgusted with me and it was he just just like started like shaming me like there on the floor about like how i needed to like get like more in touch with my culture and i'm just like i didn't say it but at the same time like you know, i was kind of thinking in my head like bro look in the mirror like your ancestors did not speak Spanish, man. Don't be telling me about my culture. Like, back <laughs> off, dude. <laughs> like, um, but you know, yeah, that was uh, that was probably the worst like example of like anything like that. But yeah, every now and then, um, yeah, people will make assumptions, and I kind of have to just like, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> have has that happened to you, Tina? I'm assuming so, since you've asked. Yeah, um, I remember I was working retail um, at the mall. And so you always have to give your, I would give my business card because I was working on commission. Mm -hmm. And the moment that someone like read Hernandez, right away they're like, oh, do you speak Spanish? (laughs) 
like, no, my dad never taught me. <laughs> or I would tell them, I was like, my dad's disappointed with me. <laughs> like make jokes. <laughs> what has been your favorite part about growing up in Texas when it comes to culture or being able to represent yourself or growth you found in yourself? You know, what was your favorite part of growing up there? And uh, we can start with Tina. Yeah. Um, I love the book, like I was saying before, it's the energy and the warmness mm -hmm. um, and the liveliness of it. Like always welcoming to anyone, always just happy, like pretty positive. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's really what I took away with from it. Um, and Tex-Mex, I really <laughs> love like Verde chicken enchiladas. <laughs> awesome. And Michael? Um, I gotta say like the food, yeah. you know, the, the food <laughs> yeah. is, is, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's not the best, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> damn close. You know, it's like, you know, cause I mean, you know, growing up like with my family, my grandmother, like to this day, um, will make, I don't know if you'd really call it tech specs, but I mean, she still makes tamales and like, she still like makes like one of my favorite dishes carne quesada which is mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure that's like originates like in mexico but mm -hmm. like I, I like identify that like so closely with <laughs> like even just like being here in texas and it's like if i ever go to like a new mexican restaurant that's like the first thing i go to is like okay how's your carne quesada like, you know? <laughs> um i have one more thing when you were talking about tamales mm -hmm. i don't know if it's necessarily text mex or like Tejano, um, but it is something that my family makes every, like right before Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. we all get together and they have like um, a tamale party. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them I'll go to the after party, um, but everyone <laughs> gets around and they, it's like a two day process. Yeah. Um, it's fun. Um, well, that's actually a perfect transition um, because I was gonna ask, um, if you all, since this is going to be released around Christmas, if you all, you know, remember growing up around the holiday season and sort of um, if there were any, it didn't necessarily even need to be Chicano or Tejano traditions that you all partook in, but if there were anything you remember kind of growing up uh, and something that you would want to take on into your, you know, adult life and with kids and all that sort of stuff, um, if there's anything fun like that from the holiday season. Uh -huh. I would say um, for me, it's what I was saying with the tamales. Yeah. And we also made like galbo. No, I'm sorry. Menudo on Sundays once in a while. Whenever my grandma wanted it, my mom would make it. <laughs> and I would say for all the holidays, we always had like a huge get together. Mm -hmm. It's gotten smaller as I've gotten older and everyone has kind of had their own little families. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, we'd have cousins, grandma, grandpa, um, Everyone. And mm -hmm. it was always like a big celebration every Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And you just, when it, you never found like a seat at the table, everyone just kind of ate like a buffet. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really what it was a lot of family time. Awesome. Michael? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think my answer is pretty, pretty much so. kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. Cause like with my, my dad, with my dad's side of the family, it's all, like every ho holiday it's it's this huge massive gathering of people you know he's one of 
eight siblings if i remember correctly yeah and they all have kids and so there's a whole bunch of us cousins and now some of us are like starting our own families like as well with like you know having kids and you know their partners and all that and um so it's that's like something like you know for the next generation like i definitely like i think is super important Mm -hmm. you know for having that kind of family connection these kind of parties and having like keep carrying on the food um i've been teaching myself to try to like make certain things um i've yet to attempt the carne guisada but um (laughs) you know at the very least like you know my grandma you know bless her heart like you know she's getting up there but i mean she's still pumping out tamales like almost every christmas like like clockwork um but you know my dad and like a few of my other cousins i think like also know how to make tamales as well so you know at the very least like you know that's something that will that'll keep going Mm -hmm. which is awesome um and then do both of you i don't make assumptions so do both of you celebrate christmas or do you celebrate another holiday yeah i celebrate um christmas and thanksgiving And Michael, just because I have a question about it, which is why I'm uh, asking. I just want to make sure. Um, I am present for those gatherings. Um, do I personally celebrate them? Uh, at the risk of some of my family actually listening to this <laughs> podcast, uh, I'll just go ahead and be honest and say, like, I don't necessarily subscribe to, like, the ideas of them, which is probably where you're going with this. But, uh, but yes, I, I, you know, I'm not going to turn down family time i'm not gonna turn down a a party you know yeah no no luckily no i'm not gonna get anybody in trouble with their families no luckily it's uh i'm, I'm the same way actually uh, i use the opportunity to get together with family and like a gift here and there is never too bad but the reason i was mainly asking is because i was curious um i always am curious about how different people celebrate different families celebrate so my specific question for you both is uh and we can start with michael again but what time and what day does your family open presents traditionally with that's a good question um (laughs) well actually so with the white side of my family uh my grandfather's birthday was on christmas eve so Mm. we actually would do the presents and all that and the actual christmas celebration on christmas eve um with my dad's side of the family um I'm sure they probably do the same thing, of course, for different reasons. But, um, you know, typically speaking, though, it was Christmas Day that we would have like our big family function or whatever. Mm -hmm. Tina? Um, We did. You could open up one present for Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. So everyone got to pick one out. Um, But we always opened everything on Christmas Day, like in the morning. And then we would normally have like a get together with lots of food, not necessarily presents at that point. That was mm. mostly just family coming over and eating. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's just always in- interesting to me. I-, I love hearing. So we were the exact opposite of that. So we used to open presents at midnight, mm-hmm. uh, most of them. And then we'd get our quote unquote Santa Claus present on Christmas day. Um, so whatever the biggest present present was, but obviously as we got older and my parents got older, that time for midnight slowly, like, it's earlier and earlier and earlier. So I think right now we're coming in at like seven thirty, eight o'clock. 
uh, and no big present on Christmas Day anymore. Um, but yeah, it's just it's fascinating to me how different families do it, and so I was just curious. Um, I appreciate you uh, going along with that. We'll go ahead and uh, wrap this one up, but I'm sure. Well, I'll say if both of you want to be, you're always welcome back, um, and we can be in touch about that. Uh, do you all have anything else to touch on from anything we've talked about? It's okay if the answer is no, but I always like to ask. Um, I don't think I do, but I want to say I really enjoyed this conversation, and it was really great to kind of have this open dialogue um, and to get a little different perspective on other people that are also mixed. Mm -hmm. um, as well as Tejano, um, and to learn more about California Chicano. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's it's a lot about starting conversations, and that's what we're hoping to do. You know, we can't we can't change the world in an hour at a time, but at least hopefully people will listen, and maybe that'll inspire them to go talk to somebody to, about something. And and so that's sort of our goal here. Which um, hopefully it, it'll happen. It is happening. I don't know, but we, I had fun as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me on here. It's it's I've really enjoyed the podcast so far, and um, I, I was stoked when you reached out to me <laughs> about this. So yeah, it's been it's been awesome, and it's been great talking with you too, Tina. Like meeting a another mixed <laughs> Latino here in here in Austin. That's, that's you know I know surprisingly very few, but you know as to like your point earlier, Tina, like Austin. I love it. It's, it's been my home for over a, a decade now, but like, you know, we're definitely a minority here. <laughs> so it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to like kind of pick somebody's brain or, you know, kind of be on the sidelines, like having this conversation. It's been really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael, again. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Like I said, like we said, if people are interested, we'd love to have them on. So Michael's proof of that now. <laughs> you can't call us liars. But um, I'll go, go ahead, Michael. Were you going to say something? Oh, I, if I can do it, you can too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, seriously, uh, thank you both so, so much. Uh, that was really, really awesome. And, um, yeah, we will definitely be in touch soon. So I want to thank Tina and Michael again for uh, – being open to being a part of this conversation. I think we had a lot of great uh, topics covered and, and get an idea of what it was like to live both in California and, and Texas, at least on my end, and then what it's like to have multiple generations be from Texas um, on both of their ends. Also, you know, talking about being mixed and what that does to identity as well. So um, thank you to them again for, for being a part of this. Um, on part two, I'm going to talk to a couple other um, Texans, Tejanos, and um, one, of, one of them actually lived in California and Texas and Mexico. So getting her uh, onto this podcast was really awesome. And the conversation that we'll have next time will be really, really great. So I hope you uh, tune in for that one. Um, but yeah, as always, if you have any comments, questions, uh, at Cafe Mi Gente on Instagram and TikTok. And uh, Cafe Mi Gente Pod at gmail.com is our email. Uh, please feel free to reach out uh, with topics you want to hear about, topics you yourself might want to talk about, uh, and we would love to hear them. So thank you, and we'll see you next time.